This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, We've been talking about open heavens in this revival series, and we've been talking about having an open heart and an open mind, but today I just want to touch on this idea of having an open mouth, open hands, and open feet. I truly believe that we cannot say that we have truly experienced revival in our own lives if we do not share what we have received with the world around us. It is absolutely impossible to get close to the heart of God without feeling his heart beat for mankind. You can't. As soon as you get close to the heart of God, and you say things like, God, show me your heart. And he goes, are you sure? Are you sure you want to know my heart? I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you have felt just a piece of the heart of God over somebody's life. But his heart is crying out for humanity. He's crying out to reconnect people from the very beginning of the world, from the very fall of man. He put it into place. He put the plan of redemption into place because his whole purpose was to reconcile mankind back to God. He always intended us to walk with him in intimacy. He intended for us to know him and to make him known. A couple of weeks ago, Cameron said this phrase, and it just jumped right out at me. He said, When you're focused on a call, you live striving for what you haven't attained. But when you're focusing on a commission, then you live sent. And so this morning, I want to talk about how can we live sent. So many times we we spend so much time trying to figure out what we're supposed to do that we forget to just do what God has already commissioned us to do, which is simply to share the love of Jesus with those around us. I want to start with a passage, and and I have nothing, I said to Cameron, I don't have any deep Greek uh, interpretations of scriptures and hemolytics and phlebrotics and all that stuff today. What I have is simply just a heart of compassion. And I've been a mess all week, because God has birthed in me such a heart of compassion for the lost. So if all I can do today is just rub that off on you just a little bit then I think that we can turn this city upside down and we can turn this region upside down and we can turn this country upside down. And if it took only 12 people to turn the known world upside down, then think about all these people that are in this room. We don't need more than what we have. We have already been given the most important thing. I look at places like China, and they don't even have access to the word of God. But what they hear and what they get when they get the fundamental message of Jesus Christ, they are turning their regions upside down for Jesus, and they are reaching thousands of people just with one memory verse. Can I say we have more than what we need to go out? and share the gospel. I want to say to you this morning, we're, we, we love being part of what happens in the world this morning as we speak. They're launching a new church plant down in Haiti. Colleen is actually there this morning. It's in a different coastal city. And you want to know how it happened? There was, uh, there was the, when Hurricane Matthew went through, there was such a, a crazy devastation in Lake Hay um, that Haiti Arise immediately responded. It was the first place they went to, and they built, I think it was 153 new homes. And by the time they were done building those homes, the community was crying out and said, please don't leave. Please don't go back to Port-au-Prince or to, um, 
Grand Guap, please don't leave us here without somebody. Could you leave somebody behind that could continue to teach us and to show us? They said, could you please start a church? Can I say, when we live the love of Jesus, then people cry out for the real answer. And so as of this morning, they're launching another church, and we are praying and believing that they're going to see great fruit. And we get to be a small part of that. And Colleen gets to be there this morning, so that's pretty awesome. You know, we have our youth away on a youth retreat. And from all I'm hearing, they are just on fire for Jesus. But don't leave it to the youth. God needs every generation. God is moving in our kids right now. God is moving down there in kids' church. We have had some tremendous things and revivals happening. Did you know that our kids right now are having dreams and visions where God himself is showing up and he is speaking to them? We're seeing that in our youth. We're seeing that in our young adults. But don't just let the youngins do it. We need every single one of you because you can live sent. Whatever uh, sphere of inference that you are in, whatever place that God has placed you in, we need you. God needs you. Jesus is crying out. It's his heartbeat this morning that you would live sent right where you are, no matter your age, no matter your status, no matter your education. It doesn't matter. God wants you to live sent. So I want to start off with the most fundamental scripture we could find on this, and it's Matthew 28. I'm sure you've heard it, but I want to read it. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples. Do you want to know what the Greek word for disciple is? You. There, that was my Greek for today. That was Sandra's translation, by the way. He says, I have been given. That was good. I heard that. Thank you. Thank you. That was, I, I studied all week for that one. Um, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not in it alone. You may feel alone, but you are not alone. We, God is with you every single day to the end of the age. You know, as Billy Graham passed into glory this week, I don't believe that it was just a historical event. I actually believe it was a significant event. If, if you look around you in the world today, we have a, a world that is so lost so desperate for answers. And I feel like what happened this week was that there was a baton passing from someone who has poured his life out and did nothing but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I feel like today, this is our time, this is our moment, this is our season to rise up and to take up the baton and to run with it like a runner who's not just jogging around the racetrack, but a runner who's running to win the race, the race that God has set before us. And he has said that every last one of you have it within you to share the good news of Jesus. So would you take up the baton this morning? Would you not let someone else run faster or run by you? Or don't just sit on the sidelines and cheer people on. We need every single person in this race because you know people that I don't know. I know people that you don't know. And we need every single person to pick up that baton and say, today, God, I want to live sent. I'm sorry, I am going to get a little excited this morning. 
But I believe that we need to start believing that revival that we've been talking about is not just for us. It's what God has given to us so that he can work it through us. The moment we think that revival is just so that we can go and have a happy, clappy meeting and have some goosebumps and have a good time and and have our little family reunion and, and we're like, oh, now we feel good. Now we can go home for the week and wait for next Sunday. The moment we start living like that, we have missed it. God revives our soul and our spirit so that he can, revive simply means to wake up. He wants to wake us up and he wants to shake us up so that we can go out Monday through Saturday and be the church. Do you know that the best way to get the church into, uh, into, sorry, the best way to get the city into the church is to get the church into the city. So many times we wait for them just to show up. And, and, and I'm not saying it's bad to do events. Events can be awesome. Events can open a door for people. And, and we can do all these different things. But it's time that the church would rise up and be everything that God has called us to be. And if we want to see the city come into the church, not just impact church, but if we want to see the city of, God, the city of Kingston come into the family of God, then it's time for each of us to rise up as the church of God and get into this city. And I think as a church, we do a pretty good job at it. We need to do more of it. But we do some. We, we do some great stuff. But can I say it's not enough? It's never enough. It's never enough until the gospel so permeates each and every one of us that we don't just go out there and, and demonstrate the gospel. We also proclaim the gospel wherever you are in your setting. I believe that we need to extend the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with those around us. God has called every single person to be an evangelist. And and I don't know if you know what that word means. It comes from the word evangelizo. And it, see, I got my Greek in. There you go. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. But it, it literally just means good news. That's as simple as it is. So when he has called us to be an evangelist, he says, I have called you to declare the good news. That's it. It's not more complicated than that. Yet so many times, I'm actually going to talk next week about some of the misconceptions we have around this idea of what evangelism actually is. I have a great heritage. My grandfather was an evangelist at the core with a pastor's heart, and he gave his life. He had a stroke five years before he died, yet he got up lame on the right side. He dragged his leg, and he stood, and he preached until the Sunday before he died. His face was, was paralyzed, and so he could barely talk, but he would not give up on sharing the good news about Jesus. My father, I'm not going to go into that story, he had the heart of an evangelist and would gather thousands out in the bush in Africa just to share the message of Jesus Christ. But I look at these men and and the, the people that I've had in my life that have set a great example, and we can so easily pass it off to them and say, well, they have a gift they have a calling. They're, they're, they're set apart for that. But can I tell you this morning, every one of you is set apart for that. It's not for the work of an evangelist. Those evangelists actually are really just meant to equip you. That's all they are. They're called equipping evangelists. They're there to stir something in you so that you can go out and be Jesus to someone else. You know, as soon as you say the word evangelism, people start like... <laughs> And I always say some people do it. There's two different reasons you do it. Some people are like, <laughs> they're hyperventilating because they're like, don't, don't make me go out there and say something. And other people are like, 
<laughs> they can't wait. So either way, you're hyperventilating. It's good because we're just going to plow through it and say that no matter where your motivation comes from, just go do it, okay? Um, so, so take a deep breath. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. It's just about sharing Jesus. And, and today, I, I don't have so, so much of great information, but what I hope this morning is that there will be some formation of our hearts to understand the heart of God. Barna Research Group uh, in the U.S., they do a lot of statistics, and, and some staggering statistics that they did said that 95% of Christians have never led anyone to Christ in their lifetime, 95%. 80% of mainstream Christian denominations are either shutting their doors or plateauing. 80%. 50% of mainstream churches will not have one new convert in the following year. Not one. 40% of Christians don't even think it's their job to share the gospel. 40% of born-again Christians don't think it's their job, it's someone else's job. Can I, I don't know what those statistics do to you, but to me, they shake me up. And I think we've missed something. I think there's something that we're neglecting that is right there in the Bible. Some people say that it's harder to reach people today than ever, or that sin is more prevalent today than ever. But can I say, I, I don't really buy that. I, I don't think sin is more prevalent because it's always been there. I don't think the problem at all is that sinners are sinning because that's what they do. Sinners sin. And our pastor in Oshawa said, and plumbers plumb. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. We had to teach him some not Portuguese English. Um, but, but sinners sin, and that's not the problem. I don't think the problem at all is that sinners are sinning. I think the problem is, and this is Cameron's expression, so if you don't like my English, blame him. The problem is that church isn't churching. Church needs to be churching. Church needs to be doing what the church is meant to do. People need to live the way Jesus, our slogan says live love, live like Jesus and love like Jesus. It's time that we actually start doing and not just saying it. If we only say stuff and we don't do and we don't live what we say, and Bill Graham said it so beautifully, we have to live what we preach. But can I say we also have to preach what we live? If not, we have hypocrisy. The world hates it. I hate it. <laughs> It's time to rise up and to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. See, I don't think the problem is that people are close to the gospel. I think the problem is that the church isn't open to sharing the gospel. That's the problem. And the gospel sometimes we've presented is not the gospel of the New Testament. Sometimes we've presented it with so much compromise and, and, and in efforts and, and sometimes from a good place of just wanting to reach people. But can I say that it causes more confusion that way? And then in the end, the problem isn't sin. The, the problem is confusion. And that's harder to deal with. If you look at Billy Graham, he, he had such a passion and call, but he preached the gospel and saw thousands of people come. The world today is in desperate need for Jesus. Our culture is shifting and, and spiraling downwards, and more and more people have lost their true north. And so what the church needs to do is just, just rise up and say, we've got true north. Time to reset your compass. Time to reset your direction and to focus in on 
the very answer. When I read the book of Acts, it bothers me because it says in the book of Acts that they added to the church daily those who were being saved. So can I say, unless we're, we're there, I think that we're missing something that the early church did because they lived it. They didn't just preach it. They lived it. They didn't just do it in compartmentalized little events. They lived that life and they saw people daily because there's people all around you, all around me, daily that we come in contact with, whether it's in your job, in your schooling, in your grocery store, where you go to the bank, wherever it is at Walmart. I've had moments where I've, I've minded my own business at Walmart. I had it uh, a little while ago where all of a sudden, I don't even know, it started with me returning a pair of shoes. And somehow it ended up with the lady hanging over the counter, hugging me and weeping and thanking me for sharing uh, the love of God with her. And I had a really long lineup behind me, so I'm like, awkward, but really good. I like it. <laughs> it's awesome. But can I say, I had another, uh, someone recently, I was in a store um, just talking to one of the people that work there that I have um, just built some relationship with. And all of a sudden, as I'm standing there, we got into this huge conversation about God. Um, but then there was a customer there, so I just kind of discreetly excused myself and thought, hey, we'll pick that up some other time. I know where he works. I know where you work. Um, so, you know, whatever. But as I'm about to leave the store, he says, hey, Sandra. And he's literally running after me. He goes, can we finish that conversation? And so we stood at the entrance of the store, and we talked about Jesus and then he's like, well, what's that, what's that thing you guys do, like, in church, that kind of weird thing where you lift up your hands? So I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, do we have to, oh, wow, okay. Um, you know, so, so I start talking about connecting with Jesus and what worship really is and how we reach out to him and we surrender with him. And he's like, oh, surrender, I, that makes sense. That's really cool. I like that. You know, and then he starts picking apart everything that he has seen that's a misconception about church. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, please. But we got into this huge conversation, and I thought I could have so easily missed it. And I'm sure there's times that I've missed it. But he was hungry. He wanted to know. So can I say, it doesn't matter what job you're in. Just be open. Be open. There's people out there with all sorts of questions. I was like, whoa, that was a lot of questions. Um, I was cutting my hair the other day, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, and the hairdresser's like, whoa. I've never talked to someone who actually knows the Bible. Can I ask you a few questions? I'm like, sure, go for it. You're kind of stuck with me. And uh, so, you know, you can't just leave if you don't like what I have to say. So, but anyhow, so we got into this amazing conversation. And a couple of weeks after I had to go back and fix something, she comes running up. She's like, oh, I've saved up a whole ton of more questions for you. Can I, can I say this morning, people are more open than we think they are. We come in with the assumption that people are going to be uh, defensive and not want to listen. But can I say there's lots of people around us all day, every day, that need to hear the truth. And they want to hear the truth. They look forward to someone sharing the truth. I, had an, I really need to go on. But I had an incident um, years ago now. But I was um, on a bus really late at night. I'll really recap the story very briefly. But I got talking to a guy who was clearly a non-Christian, let's just leave it at that, and conversation started about, really weird, and eventually it turned into talking about Jesus, and we ended up, uh, we got off at the same bus stop, ended up talking for probably two hours, just about the, the message of the gospel, and the truth of the power of God, and he said, I've never, he was probably in his, I would say, early to mid-30s, and he looked at me, and he said, if this is true, 
if what you're saying is true, if there is a God who is not dead, but a God that is alive, because he had searched everywhere else. He had been into all sorts of stuff. He says, I'm just searching for the truth. And so I said, can I tell you the truth? And as we stood there and I just shared about the love of Jesus and the power of God and how he can break bondages and how he can set you free and how can he, he can heal you and how he can be with you. He looked at me and I will never forget his eyes. They were like burning. And they said, if this is true, then why haven't anyone ever shared it with me till now? How can I have lived for 30-something years without hearing that it's real? Can I say it's time for us to rise up and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is freedom to those who hear it. I have no idea where I am in my notes, but that's okay. We will go to Luke 4, Margaret. There we go. Okay. So Jesus, when he came and he declared why he was sent, this is Jesus' very first sermon ever. So I'm like, hey, when you preach your first sermon, this would be a good one. Uh, so he comes, he's in the synagogue, and he picks up a scroll, and he turns to Isaiah, and he, he quotes, this is quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. And he's saying, he's literally proclaiming, this is why I was sent. This is why I am here. And as he is proclaiming this verse, he is literally saying that the Holy Spirit has anointed him him, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to those who are captive, sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. This is a list of people that are bound, and the list is no different today. People are still struggling with captivity. People are, st oh, sorry, there's only, oh, Luke 4. Sorry, if you're taking notes, that's completely wrong. It's Luke 4, 18. Uh, we can't change it now. But yes, if you're taking notes, I'm sure Luke 3.18 is awesome. So, you know, go study it, read it, tell me your insights. Um, but that was not meant to be. Luke 4.18. Um, but the, the list of bound people hasn't changed. But can I say this? Jesus didn't just love people where they were at in their bondage. He came to break them free of that bondage. And I think sometimes we get so afraid of approaching the very truth and speaking truth into lives that we, d we are satisfied with just loving on people in their bondage without actually declaring to them what's going to set them free. See, in every instance, Jesus went in and he used their bondage, he used their need as an open door to declare the gospel. But he never just went and said, oh, good for you. He went in because he knew that the real answer is reconnecting with Jesus, is reconnecting with God. So can I say this? In John 8, 36, it says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's what he was, he would, I can't speak. That's what he was after. He wanted freedom from people because that list of bondages is depressing. And he said, I am here. And today it's been fulfilled. This is why I was sent. Can I say this morning that the message has not changed, but the messenger has. Jesus no longer walks this earth in person, but you do. The message hasn't changed. The messenger has. The messenger is you and me. Don't just leave it up to the gifted person beside you or to the person that you admire or to your great hearers of the faith. God has chosen you to live sent because he desires to communicate the gospel in you and through you. See, the way I view it is evangelism is not just a responsibility I have. It's a privilege that I have. 
I don't do it out of obligation, but I do it out of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for me. And when we realize that it's simply just a privilege to be able to share with those around us, then it's not so hard. To take it one step further, evangelism, simply put, is not what you do, it's who you are. It's being the evangelizer. It's being the good news to those people around you. In its simplest form, it's simply loving people where you're at and pointing them to the truth. Ephesians 4.11, I won't read the whole thing, but it literally just lists off that God has given these gifts, pastors and apostles, evangelists, um, prophets, and teachers. But here's the, the important verse in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. The saints, we've often left it up to the evangelist to do the evangelizing. But this is saying that the evangelist is there to equip you, to stir you, to do the work of the ministry, for you to be Jesus, for you to live like Jesus and love like Jesus wherever you are. And then it's amazing because it goes on to say that this is what you need to do in order to bring knowledge of the Son of Man. And a couple of verses later, it actually talks about how you need to grow up into maturity. I went through this season uh, in my life where I just, I was really weak. Um, couldn't even get out of bed. My legs were not working. Muscle strength was not there whatsoever. I couldn't even feed myself. I had to completely just rely on other people. It's a very, you know, difficult season of my life when I was a baby. <laughs> I had you all going. I saw all these compassionate people like, where were we? I would have been there for you, Pastor. You should have called me. Yeah, I totally had you. Um, <laughs> but there was a time when we come to Christ you like that one? Uh, but when we first come to Christ, the Bible actually likens us to infants. And it's okay sometimes for a season, to have a season where, where we take things in and where we let other people help us and strengthen us. But then there comes a time where we need to actually start exercising our spiritual muscles. We need to build some muscle strength. We need to read the Word of God for ourselves, not just listen to someone else. We need to read the Word. We need to spend some time in prayer. I love how Billy Graham said it. Fall to your knees in prayer. And we need to start growing our spiritual muscles so that we can understand that God is not just waiting for someone else who's all mature and perfect. He's waiting for you to mature in your faith so that you can go and you can live sent. And you know what happens if we only take, 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 take in and we never actually give up? I mean, give out. Or give up. That's not good either. Sometimes we give up. There you go. But you know what happens when, when we are in seasons where we only, only take in because God has created us to give? Well, what happens is we start gaining weight. Have you ever noticed that? If you don't actually ever work out or walk or do anything, you start gaining weight. There was a, um, I am going to go there. there was, you're, you're thinking what I'm thinking. Yeah, there was this brilliant uh, radio jingle years ago. It was a commercial for, or a, an ad for going to a gym and getting a gym membership. And I still remember it. This is like years ago. It went something like this. I don't want to be a fat guy. Flubbery, rubbery, flubbery dude. And then it was like super catchy, super awesome. And I never forgot it. So they were like fantastic way to do a jingle. Um, great thinking behind that one. 
But, you know, so they were saying, you need, you need to get into the gym and you need to actually do something. You need to build some muscle. And uh, it's funny, as I was preparing for this deep, intense message, that's the song that came to me. Um, you know, so you can go just ponder that one. But what God is saying is we need to get into the gym. And our gym is in our prayer closet. Our gym is with our Bible open. It's not just listening to, to a message that someone else preaches. Digging in so that we can strengthen our muscles, so that we can grow into maturity, so that we can be ready in season and out of season to share the good news with those around us. God wants you. God's heartbeat is for you. God's heartbeat is not for you to support someone else only. That's good. Cheerlead other people on, but allow people to come and cheerlead you on and realize and recognize that God wants to use you. We've been doing this course on evangelism in the internship, and the poor guys get me every week twice on this topic, so you can pray for them. Um, (laughs) Yes, you weren't supposed to say yes there. Um, But one of the things that's been awesome is quite often we start off with, hey, does anyone have a a story to share? A a short to stare? There you go. Um, A story to share. And it's amazing because all five have had these moments where it's like, you know what? I prayed before I went to work. And out of the blue, this person wanted to talk about Jesus. We're like, yeah, that was worth it. Da, 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 da. Um, but, but it's amazing as it, as it happens when we're open, when we recognize that God wants to use us, that he actually will. And when we pray, and, the, and we said so profoundly, wow, because prayer works. And if you start off your day by saying, God, I'm open, I'm yours. Today I want to live sent. Would you show me someone? I can guarantee you. I can guarantee it that he will if you're open and if you're willing. And if all of us were open and willing, we could reach this world for Jesus Christ. I want to read to you um, kind of as we're ending. Uh, John 15, 8. Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so you will be my disciples. He's actually defining what a disciple is by saying that you bear fruit. Each and every one of us are called to bear fruit. Uh, There's 199 recorded uh, ministry moments of Jesus, and 128 of those were evangelistic in nature. Staggering. So if that was a primary focus of Jesus, can I say that it needs to be one of our primary focuses as well. I just want to share quickly six foundational truths that help us align with the heart of God for the lost. Number one, it's going to sound so profound, lost people matter to God. (laughs) Wow, I'm glad you were all sitting down for that one uh, because I know it's super profound. But when we truly understand this, it actually changes the way we live. The very most fundamental verse that everyone quotes is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He's saying, I want every single person to come into knowledge. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. Because he wants everybody. Can I say quite often, we are exclusive when we approach people. God wasn't. He loves everybody, and lost people really, really, really matter to him. That's why he gave his best. See, the value that one places on that which is lost will determine the sacrifice one is willing to find it. The value that someone places on that which is lost will determine 
the sacrifice one is willing to give to find it. So can I say, Jesus was willing to be scourged, beaten, hung on a cross, ridiculed, because he knew the value of lost people. Can I say, when we start to connect with the heart of God, we see that his, he really, really, really loves the lost. So second thing is this. Jesus came not just to say they matter, but to seek and to save. Luke 19.10 literally says, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Think about it. Jesus noticed everybody. He was there for the crowd. He was there for the disciples. He even uh, was there for, think about it, Judas himself. Like Judas was not a good guy, and Jesus knew already that he was going to betray him, but he was there for him. Jesus noticed the beggar on the road. Jesus noticed and took in Nicodemus, the, the lawyer that came to him in the middle of the night with all these questions. Jesus took time in the middle of the night to answer those questions. Jesus noticed Zacchaeus in the tree. Jesus noticed the woman at the well when everybody else walked by her. Jesus, even on the cross, as he is dying, is still proclaiming liberty to the thief beside him. Can I say that Jesus places incredible value on seeking and saving those who are lost? There's an incredible verse in Ecclesiastes 3.11, one of my favorite verses. It says that he, God, has put eternity in their hearts. God is brilliant, is all I have to say. He created humankind, and then he's like, oh, I'm just going to put one little void right inside their heart. And I'm going to place eternity in there. Now, people in every religion is trying to find out how to get to the eternity part and how to connect with that. And Jesus came along and he said, I'm the bridge. I'm the answer. I'm the connection. But he has placed, I want to say, um, a hole in your heart. You know how sometimes you can have a, a hole in your heart? I believe that God has placed a spiritual hole in people's hearts so that he can come in and use it as an open door to say, I see your hole. I see your need. Can I declare to you what that need is? Can I declare to you what that hole is and who can fill it? He has placed eternity so that there's a longing inside every human to connect with their creator. Our job is simply to come in and say, can I help you define your hole? Can I help you define what you're looking for? Number three, we're called to, we are called to seek and save the lost. Jesus passed the baton on to us. Never mind Billy Graham. 2,000 years ago, Jesus already passed the baton. And now it gets personal because it's not just, you know, we as a church are meant to seek and save the lost. We as individuals are called to seek and save the lost. There's three days that should be important to you. The day you were born, because God purposed you to be born that day. You should treasure that day, and you should celebrate that day. Second, you should celebrate the day you were born again, because that's when your destiny changed. But thirdly, you should celebrate the day that you realize what you were born for. You were saved from something and brought to something for something. One of the primary reasons you exist on earth today is to reach people for Christ. Don't put a period after being saved from something, but realize you're saved to something, for something, to do something. 
to bring others with you into eternity. Number four, the harvest is plentiful. Luke 10, 12 says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to realize there's people all around us yearning to find something to fill those holes. It's not someone else that is there to reach them. He has called you to live, send. He goes on to say that the harvest is ripe. It's not just plentiful, it's ripe. Revelation talks about it's ready, it's ripe. Jesus talks in the apostles and he refers to the harvest as ripe. And if you slow down long enough to see where society is at, you'll see that we are precisioned right here and right now for one of the greatest moves of God in history. Wow. Thank you. That was, that was incredible. Right now, if you look at society, I would dare say we are precisioned for one of the greatest moves of God. We have more access, more availability to spread the gospel now more than ever before. And number six, the laborers are few. This is a sad scripture. Jesus could have said, pray for the lost, pray for the harvest. But he actually says, pray for laborers. <laughs> this is my heart's cry, that people would go out and live sent. I already commissioned you. I already gave you what you need to go out. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I say we are called to penetrate darkness, not to isolate ourselves, because light invades darkness. Think about it. All you need is a small source of light in a dark room, and it penetrates darkness. That's who Jesus said. You are the light. You go out there into the darkness, and you penetrate the darkness. You invade the darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to hide away. We're not supposed to hide our, our light under a bushel. We are supposed to penetrate the darkness. Darkness is simply an absence of light. And darkness only increases when light is not present. So we can't blame the world for being dark if we're not going out there being light. And so what God is saying today is that you have been given all authority. You're not on your own. I've given you the baton. I've passed the message on to you to spread my light. I came across this scripture in, in Acts chapter 7, and it just caught my attention. Um, it's about Stephen. Um, now, he was a great evangelist. You could make him your role model, but then he was stoned, so, you know, um, <laughs> whatever. Um, but he has just shared beautifully the gospel message to people and says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Can I say, not, you're not always met with open arms? Uh, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I have never noticed this before in my lifetime. But I thought, wait a minute. It usually says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so I thought, what in the world was it that got Jesus up on his feet? And he's looking at Stephen, who is saying, it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter if they're receptive or not. I'm going to give my life to declare the one who saved me, that he is the truth, that he is the way, and that he is the life. And as he is declaring, literally into the moments of his death, Jesus gets off his throne. And he says, Stephen, good boy. You go for it. 
I'm ready for you. I'm excited. I can imagine he calls over the angels and he says, let's cheer him on as he passes into eternity because he's giving his life to tell people with his very last breath about the truth of Jesus. I think on Wednesday night, Jesus was off his throne as Billy Graham walked into heaven. I'm convinced of it. I say today, I want to get Jesus off his throne. I want to live in such a way that he gets up and he starts cheering. It says right now that he's interceding and praying for us, but I want to get us off his throne. I want him to start applauding and start saying, go for it. You can do it. doesn't matter what happens. You just need to be obedient. You just need to share the love of Jesus. And I'm going to be your personal cheerleader. I'm going to cheer you on. What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to inconvenience ourselves with just to share Jesus? Our time, our money, our meal. <laughs> what is it? All of us can do something to stand up and share the good news of Jesus. There was a story back in 1994. I lived in Sweden at the time, so this was very prevalent. There was a ship like a cruise ship that was going between Estonia to Sweden. It had on board a group of Bible college students, and I knew many of them. They had been in Estonia doing a, a missions trip, and the night before they were to leave, one of them had a dream, and they saw in the dream that the ship went under. So they actually went to the captain, and they said, we should not set sail, we should not leave, just like Paul did. And the captain said, pfft, who are you? Whatever. Right? And so they debated, should we get on the boat? Should we not? We could, they couldn't get a refund, so they got on the boat. And sure enough, there's a violent storm. And unfortunately, the way it used to be is that you drove, they would open the front of the boat and you would drive in there. Um, and then they would open the back of the boat when you got to your destination and you would drive out. So there was hundreds of cars on this, on this we call them ferry, but it's a cruise ship. And unfortunately, that opening split open in the front. And that ship went down so fast. And most people didn't make it. But I had one friend who did. And he said, as people were in the water, and as people were realizing that they can't get up because the, the ship flipped over and stairs became walls and walls became stairs and you couldn't get out. He actually crawled out through the chimney. That's how he got out. But he said as he was crawling, he could hear people everywhere crying out for God and saying, God, save me. God, help me. They're realizing they're about to face eternity. And he said there was only two people from that Bible school class that decided to leave the boat and actually save themselves. Because he said the most moving thing he's ever been part of. That so many of them in that instant knew that they were right with God. They knew where they would face eternity. So instead of getting out, they started running around to every single person and leading them in that moment to Christ before they faced eternity. Can I say they got a standing ovation in heaven? They went down and their, their task was just to secure as many people as they could. You may not be facing that. But are we ready to give up our life, our inconvenience, our time, our money, our efforts? Maybe we're embarrassed. I don't know what it is. 
But those students were ready to give it all for Jesus. Can I say, Jesus is just looking for you to be ready in the moment where someone is battling depression to say, hey, can I, can I actually share the truth with you? Can I tell you about something that God has done for me? For people that are maybe battling with, with addictions, he, he, God just needs you to be available, to be there, to be willing. You don't have to be on a sinking ship to do this. You need to live sent. Back in the early 1900s, there was a grocery, a grocery clerk named Edward Kimball who was stocking shelves one day. In his store, there was a man, and he just struck up a conversation and started to share about Jesus. This man gave his heart to Christ in the store that day. His name was D.L. Moody. Moody, in turn, led a young man named Wilbur Chapman to Christ, trained him up under his ministry, and he became an evangelist and preached to thousands. During one of the meetings with Chapman, a professional baseball player named Billy Sunday accepted Jesus Christ. And Billy, in turn, became an evangelist and started traveling and preaching the gospel. And he raised up a man under him named Mordecai Ham. One day, Mordecai Ham went to North Carolina to have some meetings. During one of those meetings, there was a young man named Billy Graham that heard the gospel and accepted Jesus in his heart. And you know the rest of the story. Can I ask you this morning to be the grocery clerk? You have no idea how much one conversation can change the eternal destiny, in this case for millions of people. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.